You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show. I never knew what being burnt out was. I remember when I was a kid, the other kids in school would be called the burnouts. Then there was the jocks, and then there was people like me, whatever you want to call me. I was called lots of things. Even as an adult, I've always worked very hard and sometimes I'd get a little drained of energy, but I was never really burnt out. I didn't believe that burnout existed. I thought that was a myth. And somewhat recently, I've had an experience with being burnt out. In fact, I'm still kind of going through it. Probably the only thing that's surviving is the, you know, the podcast and some other activities, but I really wanted to understand. I didn't feel like depressed. I didn't know what it was, but it was like physically affecting me, preventing me from doing things. And I've tried many odd and interesting things to kind of escape this burnt out feeling. And I had to really discover why I was burnt out. It's only been like the past month or so. You know, it'll definitely make an interesting story at some point. But first I wanted to understand what this is. So I sought out someone who was an expert, a world-renowned expert on 
being burnt out and she tells her story and gives me some advice and I tell her what's going on with me. Here's the world-renowned expert on burning out, if it's ever happened to you or if you want to avoid it. She also hosts nomoreburnout.org. Natalie Rachel, and by the way, her stories freaked me the hell out. Here she is. Natalie Rachel is an expert on burnout. I'm kind of burnt out, but Natalie, first tell me what does it mean to be an expert on burnout? Does that mean you get burnt out a lot or it means you know something about it? It's hopefully the opposite. Hopefully <laughs> it should mean that I get burnt out less, um, but I have been burnt out. So that was kind of where my interest in it and it came from. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm actually a behavioral economist by by training, um, but my focus had been on, on decision-making and stress and the effect that stress had cumulatively on our decision-making process and our cognitive health. And that kind of led me to start looking at burnout and what kind of how, how the brain is affected when we're just chronically overstressed, overworked, um, and just kind of drained. And that's, that's what it, it sounds depressing, but actually, you know, there is hope people do recover from it. And that's, that's what I help people do. I feel like a lot of people say, oh man, I'm burnt out, but they're yeah. not really burnt out. <laughs> like right. does burnout really mean, and, and why did you get into the study of it? Like, what does it mean to study it? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe a good place to start would be like the definition of burnout is the, the World Health Organization defined it in 2019 as being a, an occupational hazard. Um, and they defined it as being, having sort of three defining characteristics. So it's kind of to define define it as being different from just stress or exhaustion. So it's, it's being in a state of energy depletion. So you feel very run down, very drained. Secondly, it will be, there's a, a feeling of mental distance and negativity that you're conscious of between yourself and your colleagues and your family. Um, and thirdly, it's, it's reduced professional efficacy. So you're actually getting objectively worse and less able to do your job. Um, so that will be that would be when you're in that state, you're actually already burnt out. But as you say, it's, it's, it's a process and it's sometimes we're a little bit, we might say we're a bit burned out, but actually we can solve that just by resting and kind of taking a break. But true burnout is the kind of cumulative result of all these stresses. So for me, I've been like doing a lot of the kind of theory behind it, like looking at what are the drivers in the workplace that are causing people to be burned out, what's happening at a cultural level, uh, the organizational level and also the individual level. So that's kind of what most of my research focuses on. But then I'm actually trying to apply that now so that people can use it in practical ways to start walking it back if they feel like they're at risk of getting burned out. How do you know if you're at risk of it? Like, what's the difference between being at risk and actually having it? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And I think it's one of those things that when you notice it, you're probably already quite burned out. But kind of paradoxically, when you're really, really burned out, everything else in your life has kind of fallen into the background. So you're less conscious of how out of balance your life has, has become. So yeah, so how, how you know you're at risk, I would, I think one way to think about it is like, there are different stages to it. So it's, so it's a process like at the, at the early stages, you might not actually feel bad at all. You might actually just feel that you're in kind of quite a passionate relationship with your work you know, you, you feel infused, you feel engaged with it. The kind of psychological contract between you and your job has maybe become a little bit unbalanced. I mean, I'm talking about a job, it could be something else, but let's just say a job for now. 
kind of become a little bit unbalanced. So you'll find that you're starting earlier, you're finishing later, you're maybe letting your other commitments slide in favor of doing more work. You're thinking about work outside of when you've chosen to do it, when you should be thinking about something else maybe. Um, and so that's kind of the first, maybe the first intimation that things are a little bit unbalanced and, and that you're kind of becoming overcommitted and, and the blinkers have started to go on to like the other aspects of your life so that you're just kind of leaning into. That's not burnt out. That might be, maybe you're suggesting maybe at that mm. point you're overworked. So you're yeah. expending mm. energy. The gas tank is running on empty. So you have to do other things to kind of optimize your energy and, and, yeah. and suggesting maybe that might lead to burnout. Yeah, exactly. So I would, what I would, if you just kind of wanted like a one sentence definition of burnout, I would say it's like, it's when you've got nothing in the tank, you've exhausted all your internal resources, but you're pushing on anyway. So it's like your mind and body are saying no, but you're just doing it anyway. And so what, what's like the reasons for burnout? Because is it just that you took on too many commitments? Because I feel like people could do that for a long periods of time. And totally. I'll, I'll tell my mm -hmm. story in a second, but like yeah, what brings on burnout? I guess you could split it into like organizational things like that you might be that your organization is going through a big change that's kind of being forced on you and you find yourself like having to take on work that either you don't feel equipped to do or it's just too or it's too much and it's kind of you're forced into a situation that you don't like um so the kind of organizational factors but then there's i think there's cultural ones as well like people are just burned out by the amount of distraction there is the amount of um pressure on them from from different sources and then kind of personal ones like if your, you know, if your identity is very, and your purpose is very caught up with your job, with your role, with achievement, then that can also be a factor in driving your burnout because you, you just push on even when everything's telling you to stop. Yeah. Particularly if things aren't going so well, but if you identify your self-worth mm -hmm. with the progress of whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a job or some other yeah. activity, maybe that could that lead to burnout? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's quite interesting. There was a story, um, couple of years ago, I think in the, in the wall street journal about, um, I think it was called something like beyond the confetti. And it was about like all these kind of startup founders who were just plagued by the just hellish experiences of burnout. Cause they just kind of, as you say, like they, they've got their identity completely fully identified with, with their company, with their, with their role, with their, with their vision. Um, and it, like an embarrassment to admit. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And, and often it's like it, beyond just embarrassment, like often there's kind of billions of dollars, like investors money and, you know, all your employees are looking to you to sort of set, set, set the tone for the organization. So like to admit that you're really not coping well at all, um, it's kind of, yeah, as you say, really embarrassing, but also maybe has real kind of business consequences as well. But I mean, what I would say is that the business consequences of just pushing on regardless until you crash can be even more dire. So, yeah. And, and I used to think like what you were saying earlier, burnout, something like, oh, I'm just a little tired of work right now. So I'm going to take a vacation and then I'll be refreshed. But mm -hmm. now I realize it's something different than that. Yeah. It's, it's not so easy to, it, it's not like just mm -hmm. rest and you're okay. That's it. And I think like, you know, if, if you are able to just rest and be okay, that's brilliant, but it probably wasn't burnout. It was probably just ordinary exhaustion, ordinary tiredness. Um, because that's I, there's a definition of burnout um, from Freudenberger in the 70s, and he said it was like 
emotional and physical collapse brought on by stress and overwork. So it's, it's that link with stress and overwork that's really crucial. It's not just, it's not simply you're so tired because you've just done so much. Because generally, if you've, you know, if you've, if you've delivered a huge project or you've run a marathon or something, then you will be really tired, but you'll also be satisfied and you'll, you'll know that you can just rest and eventually you'll feel better. But with burnout, it's, um, there's no sense of satisfaction. There's no sense that it's ever going to be over. Um, and even when you rest, you're not, it's not truly restorative because you just kind of have that compulsion to, to keep going and, you know, have that sense that it's not, it's still not going to be, you're still not going to be satisfied. And what's the difference between burnout and like depression? That's a really good question. And often they, often they do get confused. Um, often if burnout's diagnosed at all, it's quite often misdiagnosed as, as depression. So, I mean, they're, they're linked, like they've certainly got a lot of overlap in symptoms, like the kind of low mood, um, the sort of feelings of disassociation, um, like the tiredness, the body aches, or, or a lot of, there is a, there's a huge overlap, but they are, there's a study actually on the, I think it's just called the medical perspective on burnout. And they, they do like saliva cortisol tests and burnout and depression are distinct. I think the, um, I'm trying to think what exactly it is, but it's um, burnout is more similar chemically to post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's it's more like a kind of trauma response than a than a sort of long-term depression response, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And I suppose another way of you could like a simple way of just passing the difference is burnout is associated with work. So you have you know the feelings of helplessness and anxiety are generally um, oriented towards your work even if they do kind of spill over into other areas of life. Um, whereas I guess depression's more generalized. Yeah. So, so like I've never been burnt out before in my entire life and I've, mm -hmm. I work, I work pretty hard. Like I, right. last year when I, I know because of the pandemic was very hard and, and a lot of people got burnt out or a lot of people lost their jobs and it was very frustrating work wise. I was doing great. Like I, upped my podcast from two a week to five a week. Mm -hmm. I was doing articles every day. I wrote two books. I started a business. I invested in businesses. I moved in general. And that's for 25 years. I'm, I'm a hugely productive person mm -hmm. and people always say, Oh, how are you so productive? And I'm very efficient mm -hmm. with my time. Mm -hmm. And, and so I don't think it was a matter for me. And let me, let me fast forward to where I am now. I literally mm -hmm. can't do anything. Like I have to be dragged to do a podcast and, mm -hmm. and that's not totally true. I do all the things I'm responsible for. I keep track yeah. of my responsibilities. I, most of the time I do the, I do like the bare minimum. And I wrote this article in August. I think this was related to getting burnt out. I wrote this article in August called New York city is dead forever. Here's why. And mm -hmm. I got a lot, I, a lot of people liked it, but a lot of people that I knew and was friends with and people mm -hmm. I even you know, what's close to and other people I admired hated it and mm -hmm. let me know about it. So um, about, mm -hmm. about a, that's tough. Yeah. 30 million mm -hmm. people liked it and about a million people let me know how much they hated it and how much they hated me. And it was even like oh. ex-girlfriends writing articles about me oh and uh, <laughs> p people who used to work for me, like commenting or sharing these articles that were against me. And I was always like really surprised. Oh. And I even was fine with all of that. And then sometime maybe four or five months later, it was still going on. I never, I've had negative reactions mm -hmm. on articles before, but I never had 
this much. And then there were other things too, like, you know, just in general, um, you know, I, I, at any given point, I have seven or eight things going on. Cause I, I like to do what I call diversify my dopamine. So if it's <laughs> not going well, presumably one of the seven other things will be going well and fine, but gradually everything just shut down. And right. I, because I, I think my brain was telling me you're going to get punished if you stand out anymore. And, right. and so somehow I just like shut down and that was that. And then, and then everybody was saying, oh, you're going to have to get back to normal. You're going to have to get back to normal. But I don't think there's like a normal. I don't think it's like you're burnt out and then there's normal. I think mm. there's like a new normal, as they say. I but agree. I, I don't know what it is. So I don't know. Mm. I don't know how to get out of this burnout or I've, tr I've literally tried everything. I've tried like mm -hmm. huge numbers. I've tried unusual things like experimental things. I've tried everything. Okay. It's like a therapy session. <laughs> no, I mean, I I mean, it's fascinating because what everything that you do sounds like you do, you are doing the right things, like the, the, the diversification. I mean, if you can certainly, if you can broaden your self concept, that's something that people do find helpful. If they can find that they're getting their nourishment from lots of different sources, like their nourishment to the, to themselves. So, so that's a good, good place to start. But I think that maybe, you know, like you say, it, it, it is transformative. Like that's something that people don't, always realize with burnout, they do just try to bounce back to where they were before without really acknowledging that they're not going to be the same person as, as they were before going through burnout is hugely transformative. And then coming out the other side is, is as well. And, and generally people don't stay the same. Um, I mean, it's quite an interesting um, study, but there's a lady called Dr. Jerry Paleo, she, who does a lot of the work on linking burnout and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and she says that often when people come out, the, I think it was 90% of the people in the study, in her, if, in her study, they not only don't go back to the previous employer, they leave the entire industry. Like they can't even stand to be associated with anything that might remind them of what caused their burnout. Um, so sometimes like a complete hard reset might be, might be a good way to, way to approach it. If something's kind of, yeah, I mean, it, it, if you think of it in terms of like a, a a trauma response where you're just kind of shutting down to protect yourself. I think that's what it is. I think because most other areas were fine. They had their normal mm -hmm. ups and downs for me, but maybe kind of simultaneously things were down or slow across the board and combined with the fact that this overwhelming response, like I, it's so unbelievable. Yeah. Some of the responses I got and still get here. It is what month it is March. I wrote this article in August and today mm -hmm. I still have my goodness, you know, people mm. saying things and mm. not to describe the articles. I've done that before mm. in this podcast, but I, people misinterpreted everybody gets yeah. everything wrong. And mm. so, so literally it, it, it's like when I sit down to write, for instance, I'm trying to, and sometimes I succeed, but maybe I used to write every day. Maybe I've written three articles since November, Yeah, you know, and, and podcasts, we were doing five a week. Now maybe mm -hmm. Jay, how many are we doing? Like two or three? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's two, two or three. Yep. Two or three. Sometimes yep. three. Yep. So like basically that the minimum needed to pay the bills here. And then, you know, and uh, yeah, then there's other things, activities mm. I'm involved in, but really I have like, no, it's not like grabbing me like it used to like everything. Mm. I, I sort of think a good, a big part of being productive is loving what you do because then you don't have to spend the energy convincing yourself to do it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so yeah. with the burnout, I'm, I'm, I don't have that energy right now. And so consequently, 
I do, you know, uh, nothing or, or mm -hmm. I'll play like online chess all day or something like that. Like, but when I say all day, I'll be, it'll be like 18 hours in a day. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and here I just, I, I just wrote a book about being productive and the book still holds mm -hmm. by the way, but it just doesn't account for if you're totally burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, it's, I, I think quite a few people maybe could relate to like just that feeling of intense, like inhibition, like something has happened that kind of almost unconsciously, you just don't feel safe being your full self at the moment. So it's kind of just shut down um, to kind of keep, to keep you safe. And I think that that, it's interesting. It's like, it's, that's come up before actually when I've been speaking to people that the feeling that they're going to be misinterpreted and then attacked for expressing themselves is a really common trigger actually to just kind of shut down. And, and one of the things with burnout is it, it does stop people feeling connected to other people. Um, yeah. and it stops, and it also kind of stops people feeling autonomous at the same time. I think it's a really quite perverse condition. Cause when, when you, when you think about like what it is to be human, it's like, it's to be someone who's connected to other people, but also kind of autonomous in the sense that, you know, you know, your own inner voice and your own mind and you're able to express it, but also kind of connect authentically with other people. Um, and when you're burned out, and I think one of the big features or big cultural drivers of burnout at the moment is the fact that we're kind of isolated, like physically at the moment, and also just kind of psychologically but we're also bombarded as well. Like we have this instant feedback of other people's opinions, sometimes kind of, as you say, like willfully misinterpreting what you've, what you've said. And like, I've noticed it so much online, like you, people are already anticipating what people are going to say in response to them. So they've got this, it's, it's quicker than instant feedback loop from other people because they've, they've internalized what they're going to get bashed for. Yeah. And people aren't even talking about the same thing anymore. It's, but it's, yeah, I know I'm sort of going off on a bit of a tangent, so do you just kind no, of stop okay. me. But <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it, one thing that's kind of been really noticeable in like the, let's just say like about the Harry and Meghan and Oprah fights that people have been having online. People are so sure that they know what happened when we don't, <laughs> you know, no, none of us was, was there. Um, but also they don't even agree on what's been reported, like what's, what's even, what we're even talking about, what the situation is that, that's even under discussion. And yet they're kind of really going viciously at each other, like yeah. in a way that you never would in person, surely, but it's draining. It's, it's incredibly draining to people. And I think that one of the responses people have is to just withdraw either completely put on almost like a kind of fake persona, which is hugely alienating um or or just pull out altogether and the you know the statistics on like how much time people spend online and the effect it has on their mental health and their and their well-being is 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 pretty clear it's 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 a it's a almost perfect negative relationship um it's not a healthy environment for to spend a lot of time yeah so what can you do about it and like what you said mm -hmm. earlier like i'm really not so much an angry person or an irritable person. And right. I really enjoy all the things I do. But uh, lately, because of this, uh, I've been a, a little more irritable, perhaps because there's all this pressure to be be back to normal. And yeah, uh, uh, yeah it's just every day, I think I'm gonna get over it. And 
then by midday or even by morning, I'm just, I'm just not. And I've never mm-hmm. in 25 years, I've worked past 25 years. I've worked seven days a week. I love what I'm doing. Usually I'm super productive and I've never experienced this before, but maybe because literally a million people took the time out to let, to hate me. Uh, and I'm not mm-hmm. complaining about it. Like I like to write and, and I don't write mm-hmm. unless I think I'm saying something interesting. And sometimes yeah. that makes it controversial and people argue, but this was above and beyond anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I literally starting around mid November, early December, like total, it was gradual, but I just totally shut down. And then by January, February, people started to notice. So like people wrote, how come you're not posting on different social media? How come you're not writing as many articles? And I, and that, you know, I felt bad, but it's not, again, it's not that I'm I don't know. I, I feel weird. I feel like there's some stigma associated with all of this because I'm supposed to be like mm-hmm. super productive all the time. And <laughs> right. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not being not productive because I don't want to be. It's just, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. should I do? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the first, the first step is, is to kind of maybe let go of, of that expectation that you've got to get back to exactly how you were before as soon as possible. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you don't need to be the same as you were before. Maybe you can be, um, you know, someone, someone different and, and just kind of in, and integrate this experience into, you know, into, into what you do going forward. I mean, I'm just sort of, one of the things I just drawing on what, what other people have, have said to me in, in the past is like in the kind of pressure to get back to how they were before they skip almost like a kind of mourning process or like a grieving process just to, that sort of acknowledges that something traumatic and disturbing happened to them um and the you know in the person that they that they were and the and the things they were going to do and the things they were looking forward to they you know they've lost them even if it's just kind of temporarily uh, and just kind of give yourself a, a, a moment to to feel sad about that if you want to or kind of feel angry about it but how do you mourn that mm, it's i mean it, it is tough i mean i what i would probably do is is acknowledge it maybe try and like articulate what it is that you feel you've lost and sort of not necessarily quantify it, but just kind of make it real, like, and, and without, without any judgment, like, you know, you're not, because sometimes people feel guilty about sort of talking about what they've lost when they think, oh, you know, there's people who've lost so much more and, um, and sort of beat themselves up about it. But I think it's fair to, you know, to feel, feel sad about it. And I think one of the things when people have, have been either burnt out by work or by a sort of nasty experience, possibly like that like you had, is, is the sense of injustice, like the fact that, you know, possibly something's happened to you that wasn't, entirely your fault I mean maybe you know maybe it's kind of something that you did initiated it or something but if it's been um willfully misinterpreted by people and sort of blown out of proportion then I think that like having a a trauma response to it is is understandable because it's it's a shock when you know when you when you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable and then it kind of gets completely out of proportion smashed back in your face it's you know that's that's that hurts so I would I would certainly take take a bit of time to, you know, sit with the, you know, with the with the grief and the and the anger about that. And then from there, just start to get curious again about what does really motivate you and what you want to do. That's because that's something that and do feel free to just kind of stop me if I'm waffling, but No, no, no. Uh, please. Sure. Um yeah, so so people often like one of the things I think that people who suffer from burnout, it's comes as a bit of a surprise to them is that they maybe 
they feel quite like they spend a lot of time, they feel like they spend a lot of time thinking about themselves and people might even say that, you know, they were quite self-absorbed, but it's, but it's not coming from a place of curiosity. Like if it's, you know, I think a lot of the influence people say like millennials and I'm, you know, I'm a millennial, but um, say the quite, it's quite a narcissistic culture and, you know, narcissists are kind of self-obsessed and so on. But self-obsession is very different to being curious about yourself as in just really looking to get to know yourself without any judgment, without trying to manage other people's expectations of you, without any sort of uh, preconceptions about what it's good to want, what it's good to be like, what you ought to be doing, how you ought to be perceived and just kind of let that go and and just really spend that time being curious about yourself because um, people don't know themselves very well. One of the things I found quite interesting is even what people think is going to make them feel good whenever the psychologists do these kind of experience monitoring experiments all the things that we think of as being like harmless fun like just watching tv eating chocolate whatever people actually find them mildly depressing like when they report in the moment how they're feeling there's like a teeny bit of relief but then you're actually back to feeling slightly worse than you did before you feel less motivated less confident less engaged and i just think that's so was sad but it's also fascinating how how we don't really know ourselves that well at all I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs like in about a month I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting... And, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, 
You want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I was just talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter and I got nonstop really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast and the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I feel like there's two types of activities that people think are going to make them happy. Other than socializing and meeting new people. So these are just in terms of like activities. So things like TV, where you enjoy watching shows, you relax, and you think that's going to make you happy. And then the other activity is when you're doing something you love. Like, let's say you love playing tennis and you play tennis, or you love, I don't know, you love being an accountant. So you go to your work as an accountant. And, and the, the latter category, they're not always pleasant because they're hard. And yeah. so like, if you want to be a tennis player, you're going to lose some games and that's not pleasant. Whereas yeah. TV is always sort of, this, this mindless thing. And maybe it's mm -hmm. not as happy inducing as people think, whereas yeah. hard activities are not really meant to be happy. They're meant to be, you know, fulfilling and challenging. And, mm -hmm. and those are the types of activities that were, uh, you know, for 25 years mm -hmm. I've been doing and enjoying, and I'm okay with them being difficult and being sometimes yeah. extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why this time over other difficult times, it affected me more. I think that's a good distinction to make, like what, what people think of as kind of easy fun and then kind of hard fun. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, people definitely overestimate how good they're going to feel doing the easy fun stuff. And really, as you say, like normal invigorating is the challenge. And I think that's because we're so absorbed in it. Like we can't be worrying about the future or feeling bad about the past or whatever when we're playing tennis or mountain biking, because 
if you lose focus then you <laughs> and you're done basically but um so I think that's maybe why that's so maybe it's they're not absorbing you like they used to um one concept that I find quite helpful is I don't know if you read any sort of Buddhist philosophy but you know they talk about all these kind of ordinary pleasures as just been changing suffering that they're not actually a source of pleasure they're just kind of relief from whatever it was that was manifest suffering before but if you kind of keep going with it it will just turn into suffering again I mean I suppose chocolate is an obvious example like if you, you know when you first start it's delicious second square a little bit less delicious third it's okay <laughs> and then you know and so on they start to feel sick but well and like take take an activity like writing for instance so people mm. who are writers you have to really enjoy writing to write like some people write mm. because they feel they should they need like it'll be good on their resume but mm. to sit in front of a keyboard for thousands of hours is not really a pleasant activity you have to really yeah. love it to do it and I've, I've loved it i've written every day since 1990 until uh until this recent period mm. and same thing like also i do i perform a lot of stand-up comedy i'm a stand-up comedian and you have to love that because sometimes when you do it people are angry at you while you're doing it and yeah. so you have to be able to come back even if you hate it that night you have to be able to come back the next day and say boy i can't wait to get back on stage and do it but like all of those things that normally drive me to keep on going have mm. like disappeared and mm. you know and again i the one thing i've replaced it with correctly or incorrectly and this sounds stupid is i just play like online chess and try to get better at that but again some days some days i can control myself some days it's like 15 hours a day when i should be doing other things i'm admitting mm. this to everybody in the world right now on my podcast mm. and again has nothing to do mm. with when i i still try to do keep the quality high when i do produce stuff but um yeah i've just been trying mm. to figure this figure this out uh whether it's just a time thing or yeah what what happens yeah i mean i think time could be could be an element of it like maybe like you're just kind of putting a lot of pressure on yourself to get back too quickly to how you were before when maybe rather than kind of focus on focusing on trying to go backwards maybe just sort of embrace the momentum of going forwards and even if you're kind of going forwards at a slower pace or in a different way um everything every you know everything changes like everything's kind of impermanent in that sense so you know i would i would just kind of take one day at a time but looking forward rather than comparing it to how you were before um because you know th things change whether we want them to or not so i would kind of maybe embrace embrace the changes and look to create i don't know how you whether you respond well to having quite a like a regimented sort of full schedule or whether you prefer to just kind of go with how you feel in the moment but it, you know, it can be quite helpful to try, I don't know, maybe try and just look through your schedule and just try and plot out where, where your energy is at different points sort of during the day, like what you're doing at that time, who you're with, what you're thinking about, time of day, whether you're outside, inside, and just kind of try and get a feel for like what your new rhythms might be. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I haven't I haven't really done that. I feel like my new rhythm is to do nothing. <laughs> so, cuz again, I've been doing so like I was so proud of myself this pandemic. Like I did so many great things and uh you know, every now and then I try to do all those things again and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but 
like you said earlier, a lot of times the person who's burnt out, in this case me, I feel like I'm faking it so people don't worry that their projects that they're doing with me are going down the tubes, which they're not, I should assure people. Mm -hmm. But again, I've been doing just sort of bare minimum kind of stuff. I mean, what's, what's examples you've like, what's the relationship between burnout and post-traumatic stress? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a close one, actually. Like there's, there's, um, some, you know, they, they do have a lot of features in common. So like, for example, like they both have, like, if it's, let's say you're, you're burnt out by your job, um, or, and, and or sort of traumatized by something, then it would be like being exposed to that again leads to like feelings of like hopelessness, fear, the most extreme kind of horror and just kind of that wish to get away from it and just put some distance between you and the thing. Um, disturbed sleep, feeling withdrawn, depressed, um, mood changes. Like, you, I mean, you mentioned feeling kind of more irritable um, and sort of maybe a bit, maybe a bit withdrawn and just kind of a wish to avoid any associations that are kind of going to bring up that, bring up that stressor again. Um, and I think one of the reasons it, they maybe do, do, do link up so, so clearly sometimes is because it's, it feels like when you're kind of in a, in a stressful work situation, it can, it can feel like things are being done to you without your choice. Um, and so it's, it's a sort of similar to the kind of trauma response, which is to kind of force apathy and numbness um, because, you know, you're pushing down that kind of natural instinct to fight back and defend yourself. But while you're pushing that down, you're also pushing down all your kind of joy and your excitement and your curiosity. And then you're left with just this kind of flat state and and if you're in that state kind of over a prolonged period of time obviously that has kind of chemical changes to your body but also just kind of emotionally you you get into that emotional pattern um where it's it's kind of it's almost like a kind of resistance to what's happening to you but you've got no choice so you're just kind of passive resistance as as a kind of state of mind um and you end up with this kind of numb flat sort of feeling so those are the kind of, I guess, the, the main links between post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's, and it's not really surprising. Like when you hear people talking about work when they've been burned out, they talk about feeling like they're being stalked by their job and, you know, and things being kind of forced on them. Like they do use quite traumatic sort of violent language. Um, how, how do you see these people? What What's a story where someone gets better and life's great after that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely happens, actually. Like, it's um, a lot of people do say that although it was kind of traumatic, although it was hugely transformative and not something that they would have kind of willingly chosen to happen to them, a lot of people do say it was uh, a defining moment in their life in a positive way because it forced them uh, to, to get in touch with their authentic self. It forced them to kind of make these intentional changes to restore themselves to health and they and in the process kind of they ended up getting to know themselves a lot better they formed uh, closer bonds with people around them because they had to you know lean on their support network and, and really sort of um, make make those make those links with with their with their true authentic self and, and other people too so that's a positive often people do change direction a little bit often they don't go back to the same job or same career path they they will either incorporate new interests and sort of broaden that broaden their interests or they might change direction altogether um because one of the things that actually people talk about when they're recovering from burnout is they you know they they realize how little of their life before that they'd actually chosen for themselves it had all just kind of been 
um, a series of um, decisions that were almost made for them or just kind of path of least resistance type things. And before they really got a chance to reflect, they found themselves in this situation that they really weren't happy with, were just kind of pushing on. So the fact that it came to a crisis where they were kind of forced out of that situation um, is a chance to reflect um, and, and rebuild in a way that's more in line with actually who they are, what what they want to prioritize. I mean, that makes sense because like, I feel like a couple of times in the almost the distant past, I've had periods where I've slowed down a little bit, but I've, this, I'm talking like in the nineties or early mm-hmm. O's, I actually was depressed because I had lost some money and blah, blah, blah. And I came up with like a practice of things to do that would kind of keep me healthy and uplifted while I was going mm-hmm. through it. But this time mm-hmm. seems somehow worse for some reason, even though mm-hmm. it didn't really start as depression or anything like that. And and it wasn't really horrible what happened to me. It just, it was like so ongoing and yeah. so nasty the entire time. And again, yeah. I've experienced that before, but not to this extent. And I'm being a little mm-hmm. crybaby. Like some people have real problems. So, no, and that's, you know, like I said, that is something that people say. I mean, don't like then beat yourself up on top of, on top of what you're, you know, what you're suffering through. It's, um, you know, we, we've all got our problems and I don't, I don't think it's that some are necessarily worse than others. I mean, we're, we're, everyone's suffering in, in some way, whether it's openly or, or secretly or, you know, physically, mentally, like everyone's got their, got their suffering. So, you know, I, I don't think you should um, do it down necessarily. I mean, from what, I guess from what you said, it seems to me like you had a really nasty shock um, and you're still recovering from it. I mean, I, and you've kind of pushed through um, to, to say that you are productive, like more than a lot of people would, but I, I think it's terrifying to, you know, I've never had anything like a million people all, all, um, well, maybe after this, but (laughs) tell him. How dare you help him? (laughs) Um, what, what have you ever, have you ever been like severely burnt out? Yeah. I mean, in a word. Yeah. Um, so it was when I was actually doing it at one point I was doing a teaching and research fellowship, um, thinking that I wanted to go into a sort of academic career, um, and started doing a PhD, but actually really didn't want to be doing that. Um, but I'd kind of just set off on this kind of treadmill and it would be such a, you know, such a, so I thought such a big disappointment to everyone to kind of get off, get off that treadmill. Um, that, yeah, I did get very sort of burnt out and very much sort of identified with that, just feeling of being on autopilot, just very kind of numb. I've kind of felt quite isolated because I kind of wasn't able to, uh, talk to the people around me and really kind of connect with them authentically. And then I was kind of almost kind of feeling resentful towards them that they didn't just psychically know what was wrong and give me permission to, <laughs> to quit this PhD. Um, so that kind of created a, a barrier, but then to cut a long story short, um, basically I ended up getting meningitis and lost my eyesight for a year. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, and it, and that sort of gave me a chance to pause, like an enforced pause, obviously. So, um, so, so wait, you, you woke up one morning and you were blind? Quite, well, pretty much. I mean, I, I, so it started like, I just thought I had flu. It I just kind of felt kind of achy and clammy and just kind of run down. And then it kind of fairly rapidly went downhill. And yeah, as you say, then I kind of just passed out, woke up, thought I had my eyes closed, but actually couldn't see out of them. So, um, that, I mean, that was 
that was traumatic in itself and that kind of took a long time to to sort of integrate that experience um could you see a little bit or was it totally black at first totally black um but then kind of came back just very sort of gradually but in a weird sort of a way like i just kind of felt like i was all i could see things but it was like looking at a flat postcard like it's quite hard to describe but like i could kind of i would look out of the window and it if i didn't know intellectually that the ground was a long way down i would have just walked out the window <laughs> like it just everything just kind of looked flat um and also like i was kind of looking through a little hole like a kind of letterbox because my peripheral vision had gone um, it's almost like your your brain that processes image the part of your brain that processes images stopped working and you had to kind of teach a new part your brain had to switch gears to a new part and it took a while for the new part yeah. to to learn from the ground up how to see exactly yeah i mean that was what was so kind of you know in, in hindsight quite fascinating about it was that my brain was fine my eyes were fine in the sense of like my eyeballs but the just the the connection had just stopped working it was like it was you know they, they when they wrote up what had happened they just put optic nerve atrophy which is like the vaguest <laughs> term really it just meant my optic nerve had stopped working um so you must have been scared to death did you think you were blind forever yeah yeah for a while i did yeah and it took me a long time to kind of um sort of come to terms with with, with that really kind of to sort of because for, for ages i was just sort of saying oh, i'm ill i've got you know i'm ill and i'm getting better it's taking a while but then someone actually said you're not well no you're not really ill like you're disabled and that kind of was like oh <laughs> i hadn't really thought of that and, until that point so and that was then frustrated because I felt like, oh, well, I've delayed so much of, I've just spent this year kind of just sitting here waiting for my eyes to come back when really I should have been learning Braille. I should have been, you know, I should have been getting all the equipment and stuff. But, um, so that was a kind of, then I kind of took, sorry. Do you think your immune system and the meningitis and the blindness was, was also related to the burnout? Like basically this this is your body telling you, Hey, we told you one way and you wouldn't listen to us. (laughs) So now we're going to get a little harsher. Mm, exactly. I mean, yeah, to be honest, I mean, and it may just be that like, I kind of, that's the story that I've come up with, but, um, it certainly seemed like that. I mean, I, I, cause it, I was just, everything in me was telling me, no, you don't want to do a PhD. Like you don't want to be doctor, like whatever, this isn't you at all. Um, but I just kind of kept plodding on, plodding on, plodding on. And I was getting so angry and angry with myself because like it was like my mind was saying no, my body was saying no, but then just this stupid little voice was saying, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so I was getting more and more angry with myself and um, picking up all the kind of coughs and colds and my skin was bad and my hair was bad. You know, I was just very run down. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, then it just kind of all crashed, like all systems failed um, and ended up catching meningitis bacterial meningitis and and that was sort of how it came out but the i mean we were talking before about can it be a positive thing i mean it's it certainly was actually i mean like in on balance like at the time it wasn't but it really gave me an opportunity when i think about where i'd be now had i not gone through that it actually like makes me quite upset because i think i would be living some kind of quite fake life that i didn't actually want but it, it kind of gave me such a second chance really to pause, change direction, nurture the relationships that I wanted to nurture. Around the time that you got sick and you really broke down, so you had to not work because you were, Mm. you were ill a year later or six months later, whenever it was, what started to excite you? What started to bring you back to life in terms of professional activities? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I think it was actually kind of learning again and actually like looking, you know, finding out, getting back into that learning mindset of just being really curious about um, something that I didn't know much about, which was, I mean, it was, I was still kind of doing economics, like sort of behavioral economics, but I got interested in this, this idea about, about stress and decision-making and all the kind of different factors that feed into um, basically how, how stressed people are, including kind of environmental factors. I mean, I won't sort of go bore you with all, all the kind of ins and outs of it, but like that was the, um, it was actually finding a project that was completely new where I was a beginner and and really getting stuck into that. I think that was that, and I loved that. Like I get that real joy of learning came back then. Um, and I could see how it could benefit people. I could see how it would help me. It was really kind of um, intriguing to me how, how, the, how these systems all work together and stuff. So it was, it, it was that, it was finding something that I was really curious about again. And how did you pursue studying it? Um, well, I mean, at first it was, I just kind of had this rather clunky uh, kind of Stephen Hawking voice on my laptop that would just read things out to me. Um, so I just tried to find as many articles as I could and get those read out to me. Um, and then I kind of fortunately had quite a few friends who were still at the university and stuff that I could, you know, say what's the latest research on this and stuff and kind of start having conversations with them. But it was it was really, you know, that's one of the things with them. Um, a PhD, you get you get your little tiny area just gets smaller and smaller, and you kind of go deeper and deeper into this teeny teeny area, and you can get quite isolated. And if it's not something that you absolutely love, then you lose touch with everything else. So it was nice actually to step out of that and just say, you know, this is an area I'm a complete beginner in. Please, please teach me and <laughs> talk to me about it. What should I be reading? What well, was it frustrating at all? So you were starting this new thing a little bit later in life than you had hoped, mm -hmm. and was there? Um, setbacks as you were learning and pursuing career and so on? Kind of yes and no. I mean, I, I think if I'd kind of wanted to then sort of start again with an academic career, then yeah, it would be, then I would kind of be starting again. And seven years feels like such a long time. I mean, it's not really in the course of a lifetime, but it feels it at the, at the time. But um, I sort of decided that I did, because I didn't actually want to do that whole formal uh, sort of academic process of you know doing a PhD then you're an associate professor then you're a professor then you're, and all and all that I just kind of thought well I'm not I, I'm not really interested in following those rules anymore so it just kind of takes as long as it takes and the, with because there was no end goal like you know to just get this professorship it actually doesn't matter if it takes me the rest of my life I don't really want this to end I just I'm quite happy for it to just kind of roll on and 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 take us take as long as it takes because I'm just I'm just curious about it and enjoying it um but what I ended up doing actually was was with a with a friend starting a a, a training and a, a training company that kind of worked with like stress and decision making. And um, we did that for a few years, and then we sold that, and so that's kind of enabled me to be able to do a bit of like early stage investing, which I'm interested in, and do do try and get this burnout um, ideas out for people so they can really help use them to to benefit themselves and things. So. Um, I'm actually kind of happy to have a sort of career that's like lots of little different different projects going on at a time because um, that because that I mean for some people they absolutely love the whole academic lifestyle and they love the you know even the rivalries they enjoy it but it just, I, for me it was just soul destroying it just like really kind of got me down so um, so it's it's been brilliant actually being able to do my own thing through but again it's like if someone had said to me would you like to go blind of course I would have said no <laughs> but, but, yeah. I, but I genuinely don't think it would have happened 
had I not, I, just nothing would have pushed me hard enough to get me off that treadmill. And and how were you able to, I mean, obviously when you were sick, it was kind of a way to say, look, I can't do my usual responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I'm sick. And, you know, I, I like my usual things. I'm yeah. just the speed. And I feel I'm still, it's not like I'm not good at them right now, but it's like a lot of the descriptions that you say seem to apply to me. And I've been, again, trying to figure out, is there, is there medication for this? Or like my normal practice of just being healthy uh, in various ways in my life doesn't really seem to help because, you know, there's, there's so many activities each, each day that I've been doing for years that I'm kind of like burnt out on, on all of them a little bit, except for maybe yeah. podcasting. Just want to make sure my podcast listeners know I love doing this podcast, <laughs> but, uh, and I learned, I, this is the main mm-hmm. way I learned from about the outside world now. Cause I just mm-hmm. stay inside my office all day, mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess I think you're right. Like asking questions and exploring things, but also it mm-hmm. seems like somehow I have to figure out how to give myself a little bit of time, which is difficult. Yeah. You have responsibilities. So I have to mm-hmm. kind of half and half take time. Yeah, I, I can understand that definitely. I mean, I suppose when you you can maybe I don't I don't, I don't know, but maybe take take some time in between when you're when you're doing your responsibilities, like figure out what you have what you have to do, and maybe I don't know if you could maybe batch those those responsibilities together in such a way that you can f- just focus on those for a couple of days or something, and then maybe take take a couple of days time to just do something totally different. Um, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe this isn't practical, but some people find it very helpful to just go somewhere completely new and just get lost for a while. That's one way of activating your different parts of your brain. If you've kind of got a bit stuck on the same few thoughts, same few routines, it's just kind of go and get lost and try and find your way home again. What do you do with the people who are maybe frustrated because you're not your normal self? Like, let's say in your case, maybe your parents mm-hmm. really wanted you to get that PhD and they were frustrated or upset. What what do you start to tell them? Yeah, it, I mean, and that was kind of one of my worries. Is it, and some of it was just completely coming from me. Like some of it was just pure projection of how, what I thought they were going to react like. Um, generally, I, I think that it, I just had to just take it really. Like just kind of if if people were disappointed, just accept that they'll get over it. But but it's but I've got to live my own you know, I've got to live this, this life. And, and ultimately they will, if they're people that you have that authentic connection with, like fortunately with, with, I do with my parents, um, then, then they will ultimately be, be happy to see me happy. And if, and if, and this is the thing, it, it's almost unfair to kind of try to make out that they were forcing me to do it or anything. They had no idea that I was that miserable. They, like, they really didn't. So, you know, it, I think that had I been, open with them to begin with they probably would have supported it anyway um so how how to deal with 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 other people i suppose i mean the people that you can be open with i would say be as open as you can i i mean i've i've found that people have always almost always surprised me for the better how they've reacted like when i've said that i've been struggling or not happy to do something anymore i mean I think I just think it's essential to be clear about what you want to happen. That was something that I kind of used to struggle with quite a lot, actually just being clear and saying no to people. But it's I think people find it more stressful if you're, you know, doing a bit of a half-baked job for them, like you're sort of yeah. resenting doing it, but you're but you're doing it anyway. Um I think it's probably better 
in the long run for them and for you to to just be unambiguous about what you can and can't do what you what is and isn't important to you wow well this is this has been really great natalie i think you gave me a lot of insights into what's what's going on with me right now and uh what 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 are you working on right now like what what can i drive people towards i really appreciate you coming on the podcast on short notice no such a pleasure um yeah so i mean at the moment i'm still working with individual clients but also organizations on anti-burnout strategies like you know sort of how to avoid it how to walk back from it but also i'm doing more work now like like we talked about on like how to modify environments to support to support healthy cognitive and emotional function so we all kind of know that like distractions and stressful environments can have a bad effect on our sort of mental function and things but i'm trying to sort of do the opposite so like help people create the healthiest environments for, for themselves um like well how can you make a home office what are what are best standards for making a home office healthy yeah exactly i mean that is that's the biggest challenge at the moment um yeah so I, the, what i would do is maybe look at like the key elements that you want to get from your day so i would say you want to have some inspiration some form of connection uh you know with with other people that you that you have a bond with that you know that matter to you also uh you want some other that you, you that you can kind of research like a and you can you can do this digitally you don't have to do it as in like all different rooms you can just kind of do this uh, with your digital world but i think if you've got kind of inspiration connection a place you can actually do kind of deep focused work as well um and and create your environment to to support those different phases of of cognitive function then you'll then you'd be pretty close to a to an ideal day and there's this things you can do i mean nature is obviously a really good not everyone's got that luxury but if you've got some way of connecting with nature even if it's just like a window um or a tree that's you know that there's a lot of research to show that's incredibly good for you yeah well i have to start doing all of that stuff but <laughs> uh thank you so much natalie and, and where can people find you so um find me where where you found me on on, on twitter so um Natalie Rachel R. And I also have a website, nomoreburnout.org. Nomoreburnout.org. Natalie, thanks so much. Maybe this is not the first time I'm going to ask you on if I get worse. So, uh, <laughs> well, anytime, anytime, I'll be more than happy to chat with you, of course. And, and also, I wanted to say as well, because someone who's moving, who's moved to New York, I actually read, read your article. And for what it's worth, I thought it was coming from a place of love. I actually didn't take offense to it at all. I'd, yeah, I it did come from a place of love. I grew up there and live, and I've lived there until only a few weeks ago, practically. Right. <laughs> and I wanted the problems to be solved. And then I don't know why everybody took it the wrong way. I mean, there was some cognitive dissonance that it triggered, and I think a lot of people who hated it didn't even read it. Um, yeah. But you know, it is what it is. It's I can't I can't convince everybody not to feel the way they do, but. Um, Thank you very much for saying that. Sure, sure. No, I just feel feel for you. <laughs> Hopefully, you get back to New York uh, as soon as possible once things settle down. That's the yeah. plan. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Natalie Rachel, and NoMoreBurnout.org or Twitter, Natalie Rachel R. Thanks. Thanks so much, James. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.